Buddy? Hopefully you got a handout. Um, sorry, because of a printing mistake. <laughs> um, I was trying to save paper. Um, and instead of doing double-sided, it's one-sided, so that's just my, my mistake there. But, um, okay, more copies are being made. Perfect, thank you. Um, yeah, so we've been talking about the doctrine of the church together. Uh, that's been our theme this fall. And um, trying to say everything that Scripture says about the church. And when we think about that premise, it's important to remember that we're not just saying what things Scripture explicitly says, but we are also bound to believe what the Scripture authoritatively implies. Um, this is obvious to us when we think about the doctrine of the Trinity or of Christ. There's not going to be like this one verse where it's like, boom, there's everything that we say in the Nicene Creed, <laughs> right? Um, we, we're distilling what the Scriptures say. We're, we're bringing um, them together to make an understanding that coheres with the entirety of Scripture. Same kind of thing happens when we think about the doctrine of the church. Um, as I tried to make the case at the very first lesson, this is now going way back, but um, the, one of the very first things that we were talking about was that the entire Bible is, in a sense, about the church. Um, it's about God making a people for himself, redeeming a people for himself. That's what the whole epic story of the Bible is about. And, therefore, when we want to talk about what is the church, we really can turn to the entire scriptures. At the same time, when we come to some of these specific questions, things like um, church membership we're going to talk about today, um, some of the, the reasoning we have to do is not going to be like, oh, you know, your church doesn't believe in church membership. Have you seen, you know, Hezekiah 1.5, right? <laughs> you know, like, there's no book, right? Um, like, here's this obvious verse that says you shall have church membership and uh, how could you have overlooked the fact that you should have a, a membership role it's right here thou shalt have a membership role like no there is no verse right like that how do we understand these things some of these things are things that we understand by good and necessary consequence by bringing together what the scriptures are saying reasoning about them and saying well if it says this that must mean this um and so that often will be what we're doing today. Um, but that doesn't mean it's any less scriptural. That's the key idea. Um, so church membership. This is, you know, we've been talking about, you know, what is the church? What's our mission? Now we're going to talk about what, what is the church comprised of? Who is the church comprised of? And the very first thing we need to say is that church membership is biblical. More than biblical, church membership is required. Church membership is something that is necessary if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's just so important that I say this because in the modern church today, especially in America, there are tons of churches that do not practice church membership. So we need to, we need to be grounded in the word and understand where this is coming from. So number one, big, big idea is this, that being a Christian means you must go public with your faith. Um, Mark 10 or Matthew 10 so everyone who acknowledges me that is Jesus before men I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven and whoever denies me before men I also will deny before my father who is in heaven this is a scary verse right if you deny Jesus Jesus will deny you before his father and Romans 10 says um, that we need to confess 
with our mouth. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't it important? Isn't it striking, right? It's not just what you believe in your heart. There does need to be belief in your heart. This isn't just sort of something you say, right? This, this does need to be something that you believe in your heart, but it also needs to be something that you say. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In other words, both of these things go together. Both of these things need to happen. In the uh, Confessions of Augustine, there's a famous conversation about this. There's Victorinus, who's a new Christian, but he's actually an older man. Um, he is a professor of philosophy in Rome who um, comes to faith, and <clears throat> he becomes a Christian. Here's this, like, heavy-hitter intellectual, right, who becomes a Christian, and he secretly confides to his friend Simplicianus, who's a veteran Christian. He says, know that I'm a Christian. And Simplicianus says, I will not believe it, nor will I rank you among the Christians unless I see you in the church of Christ. I really love that. <laughs> it's like, man, that's a comeback. And what, what, what this guy knew was that this, this person was afraid. Victorinus was afraid. He was afraid of what would happen. What would be the implications for his social standing if he were to identify with Christians? And uh, Augustine brings this out in the rest of the story. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, initially Victorinus is very, like, up, you know, up in arms, like, what, do the walls of a church make me a Christian? And, and what Simplicianus is helping him to see, well, actually, you know, Romans 10, confess with your mouth, <laughs> right? It's, it's biblical. And uh, <laughs> um, eventually Victorinus comes in repentance and says, let's go to church so that they might make me a Christian. And that's an interesting way of saying it. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Um, but this is such an important thing. And I just want us to ask, why would Simplicianus say this? I'm not going to believe it until I see you in church. <clears throat> why, would, why would he say it? Seems kind of mean. <laughs> yeah, Betty? <clears throat> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, what did people do when they became believers? Excellent. And we remember from Acts 2, right, that they were meeting together um, for the apostles' teaching, for the breaking of bread, for prayer, right? Um, they were not doing this solo. This was not a secret thing. Good. Yeah, the thoughts you have, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. To be a disciple is to sell everything and follow Christ, and that includes what people think of us, right? Being willing to comp willing to give that up if it means being faithful to Jesus, right? So if we're not even willing to go public with our, our Christian identity, um, you know, what, what is that saying? Uh, yeah. All right, um, yeah, so let's, let's press on. So 
One, one reason why we believe in church membership is you have to be public with your faith. You can't, you can't hide this. You've got to go public. There needs to be a public profession saying, I identify with Jesus. But there's more. I don't know why this thing keeps making that sound. Am I doing something wrong? Um, well, anyway, um, church leaders are responsible for particular Christians. So these are a couple of the verses that most, most convince me that church membership is an absolute necessity from the Bible. Um, Hebrews 13, 17. Um, here, maybe what I'll do is just do this. I'll just hold it like this, and we'll see if that corrects it. Um, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. That's Hebrews 13, 17. So think about that, as those who have to give an account. So we are called, as church leaders, as, as elders and, and pastors, we're called the overseers of God's household. That's, that's what it calls us. Um, in fact, one of the, one of the uh, words for an elder is overseer. Uh, the word literally means overseer. Okay, so we're overseers of God's household. Um, does that mean now we're responsible for every Christian? No. We need to give an account for certain members, just as parents need to give an account for certain children, their own, right? So, <laughs> thanks be to God, I'm not responsible, nor are the elders responsible for every um, Christian in Vandalia or this region, <laughs> right? Like, that'd be a, a colossal task. I don't, know, even, I don't even know every Christian in Vandalia, right? Um, so, there are certain people who have pledged themselves to follow Christ and have asked us to hold them accountable for their faith. That's what you do when you make that last membership vow, right? Um, and so those are the people I'm accountable for and that I'll answer to Jesus for on the last day, all, the, all of us, all of us elders. Similarly, 1 Peter 5, elders must shepherd people, not domineering, those, oh, not domineering over those in your charge. Again, there are certain ones who are in our charge, certain people. In other words, a concrete list that certain elders are responsible for. Okay, and then there are other verses as well that imply a visible distinction between members and non-members, which implies a concrete membership list. These people and not these people are the people we're accountable for. And that's part of why we have the sacraments. Um, Westminster Confession 27.1, we talked about this last time, I think, but the importance of visibly marking those who are in the body. And it's interesting, you know, um, I've, I've heard of churches who have faced this circumstance where someone will ask them, um, who's just like a, a friend, say, of the pastor or something like that, um, hey, could you baptize my baby for me? Or, hey, my friend uh, wants to be baptized, um, hasn't happened yet, would you be willing to do that? And it's sort of like this one-off thing, Will you baptize this person? But then, like, the status of that person is kind of up in the air. In other words, they're not being baptized into the membership of a specific church, right? They're just sort of generally baptized. That's not the concept that we get in Scripture. Rather, baptism and the Lord's Supper mark who is in. They mark the people who belong to the, this particular, you know, visible expression of the body or there can be visitors, of course, from other bodies, right? But they also need to be part of a, of a visible expression of Christ's church. Another reason why this is required is this. 
Church discipline is completely inconceivable. It just makes absolutely no sense if there's no such thing as membership. Ever thought about this? Like, how can, what is church, what is church discipline? It's eventually the point where somebody is so unrepentant, so unwilling to, to repent of some sin that really is marring the reputation of Christ and his church, that they need to be no longer recognized as a believer. They may claim they're a believer, but their behavior, by their deeds, they deny him, right? And so there's church discipline where you put somebody out of the church. Well, that makes no sense if the person isn't already somehow in, <laughs> right? Like, you, you have to be recognized, marked as in, for it to make any sense for you now to be marked as out, right? So church discipline is another one of these verses or, you know, one of these teachings of Scripture that simply are incoherent unless we have an understanding of membership. So membership, it's a formal relationship with God's people. It's a formal relationship with God. It's a covenant. It's a promise that goes both ways where members commit to following Jesus worshiping and serving at a local congregation, and then the leaders on behalf of Jesus, that's a daunting thought, right? We on behalf of Jesus say, we will now shepherd you and care for you, and we promise to look out for you. So the first piece is simply to prove that church membership is a requirement. If you are not a member of a church but claiming to follow Jesus, there's a major inconsistency. It, it really is a sin. Um, to think you can follow Jesus while not being part of his church. Any thoughts on this? Is this making sense? Is this convincing? Or do you, do you have uh, questions? All right. Well, let me uh, press on. <clears throat> Actually, no. I, would, I do want to ask one thing. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great question. Yeah, how many how how is it that there are so many churches in the United States that don't do membership? Um, which is sort of this loosey goosey kind of thing where yeah, you, you're regularly here and then you're regularly not, you know, or you're here sometimes or you know. I I honestly don't know what the counter argument would be. I've never heard counter argument that ever had any purchase on me. I, I think that the, the, uh, the, my sense is, this is actually going to be my question, is that the, the Americans are profoundly leery of formality. Um, we associate formality with empty, rote, kind of, um, like, you're just going through the motions, but you don't really, you're not really genuine. If you're really genuine, you don't need to be formal. Um, and so that's why, you know, pastors dress down, they're really casual, um, and um, there's, there's no sense of, you know, even like what we do here with formal worship feels very like, for some people, feels very stiff, right? Um, I, think it's a, I think that's at least a factor, yeah.
Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you so much for articulating that because I th think that is actually another piece that's very big. Um, the idea that it's all in my heart, you know, between me and Jesus, no man can ever, you know, know my real heart, right? And so what really matters is me and Jesus, we got this figured out. So we don't, what, like, what would even be the point of having some external kind of thing called membership? That just seems extraneous. Um, we're going to actually return to that in a moment. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there may be. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, you can have the formal membership, but it can be maybe at times not as emphasized or not have the, the other components involved here of intentional shepherding. Um, this sense of formally marking someone as distinct from the world, as belonging to Christ. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Well, I think the, the things I'm going to say, especially on the second page, will um, continue to press this a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, before we get to that, though, these are, these are, um, those, those will be important implications. But I did want to ask this important question. Okay, so if membership is required, who can be a member? And our confession answers this. It says, the vis visible church consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children. So what are we looking for in the visible church? We're looking for a profession of faith, what we call a credible profession of faith. A credible simply means believable, okay? And so, um, you know, think about Jesus. It says, make disciples of all nations, disciples, followers of Jesus, right? What does it mean to be a disciple? It means you believe in him. You believe the true God. You hope in Jesus alone for salvation. You submit to his word and to Christ's lordship. That's a very simple thing. And Anna brought up, you know, the thief on the cross. He's a great example of this. Very simple faith, right? Not a lot of complexity. Not a lot of, like, membership class going on there, right? Um, very, very simple, like, Lord, when you enter your kingdom, remember me, right? Um, and yet he truly was... Um, reckoned as a follower of Christ. And what I wanted to ask is, why is it so important that it's this simple faith in Christ, this desire, you know, trusting in him for salvation, desire to serve him, why is it so important that that is the criterion for membership and not the full-blown, like, you need to sign on to everything that the Westminster Confession says and agree with absolutely everything this church teaches? Why is it so important it's just that simple faith that we're looking for?
Yes. That's right. Yeah. Um, as I, I like to say in member interviews, maybe some of you heard me say this, you know, we never want the, the gates of the church to be narrower than the gates of heaven, right? We're trying in the church to draw a circle the way Jesus draws a circle, right? The people who belong to Jesus, that's who's in, and the people who do not belong to him yet are those who are not members, right? We don't want to draw the circle any tighter um, than, than Jesus does, um, as if to say only those who believe, you know, all the details of the Westminster Confession are um, truly Christian. That would be crazy, yeah. Thank you, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Yeah, if you start being too detailed on all the things you're requiring, then um, is it really Jesus that saves and him alone, or is it like true doctrine, right? Um, and all those details, yeah. Now all those details really matter, um, and we teach all those details here, but, but this is the core. Never wanna lose sight of that. Yeah, incredible means that it's believable, that there's true understanding. Um, the, the elders are seeking to, to discern, like, is this person just sort of saying this stuff just to kind of check the boxes for some other reason? Or does it, do they really do seem to, to understand and believe? And that there's nothing in their life that contradicts their profession. So, you know, Titus 1.16, um, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. That's a possibility, right? Um, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, right? Matthew 23. Um, it's possible to be part of the visible people of God and yet totally denying him by your deeds. So one of the things we're looking for is do your deeds um, go with your profession? Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that you have to have your entire life cleaned up to become a member, right? Um, we're all struggling with sin. And so both mature and immature alike, simple and learned alike may join. No distinctions across gender, class, ethnicity. Um, super important that we say that, right? Um, this is the people of God, universal, right? Everybody who has that simple trust in Christ, no matter what your background is, no matter what your present struggles are with sin, even, this is, this is kind of stretching it a little bit, but even if you sometimes struggle with doubt, right? You believe in Jesus, but there's times where it's just really hard, where you're just really struggling in your, in your simple discipleship kinds of stuff, like just having time of prayer, right? Should you be a church member? Yes. Why? Because there's that core trust in Christ even while you're struggling, right? Um, there's this wonderful question. I love talking about this in the larger catechism. It says, should someone who doubts take the Lord's Supper? answer yes that's why god gave us the lord's supper is to encourage our faith right and so as we're struggling we're like lord i believe help my unbelief and we come to the table and god helps our unbelief he gives us he strengthens our faith yeah and of course it says here also the visible church consists of all those throughout the world that could profess the true religion and of their children we will spend an entire lesson next time talking about why that's the case. <laughs> so we'll talk about that.
But I just want to say to all the children who are here that God reckons you as in. You belong to Jesus too, and he loves you. All right, so now let's think of some implications here. But actually, yeah, any questions on what I just talked about? Um, Who should be allowed to join? Um, One of my burdens when someone comes to me who has been, you know, living a life of sin and and has recently become a Christian is to say, I want to encourage this person's faith as soon as possible. I want to see this person plugged into the life of the body, receiving the gift of the sacraments that encourages our faith. Um, it's part of part of why um, you know we do some training as we bring people into membership, but it's not a huge and involved process because you know if you were to have to wait like an entire year plus or something to join, now there's that entire period where you're not receiving the blessing of the sacraments and you're being reckoned as God's people. All right, so here's some implications, and this is where I'll offend some of you or make some of you mad with me. Um, We'll see. Um, Implications and applications of this. So first is that leaders need to be very careful in handing off the care and responsibility for members from one church to another. So one of our duties when someone comes to us from another church is to talk to the previous church. And, you know, the person may say, oh, yeah, everything's all good. And then we go and we talk to them, and the person says, well, actually, um, we had to discipline them because they refused to repent of this sin, and the reason why they're at your church is because they're running from it. Like, okay, well, we can't receive that person until this is dealt with, right? Until either the person has repented of it, um, or we determine that that previous church erred in their judgment. But we cannot receive somebody <laughs> who's been... Um, excommunicated or or disciplined by the other church, right? And then that's a duty of leaders. What do members have to do? Well, members, if you care about your membership, um, that means that when you, like, are moving on, you know, say you're, you know, relocating or um, just for whatever reason um, you feel like you you would be better fed somewhere else, okay, Um, that's fine, but, like, tell us, (laughs) right? Don't just, like, go away, right? Like, we're accountable for you. Um, And you're still accountable to us, right? So, like, telling us when you are moving on is really an important part of understanding what it means to be a member. These people are accountable for me. I'm not gonna, I don't wanna make them, they're holding me accountable a difficult matter, right? So, um, these are are important processes for, you know, transferring people, being good communicators with other churches, um, and then, of course, shepherding. Uh, We need to know and care for our members. We need to notice when you're absent. We need to know when you're hurting. We need to care for you. We need to pray for you. Um, And so the shepherds of this church are really trying to shepherd you. Um, I remember when I first joined, um, you know, a Presbyterian church a while ago, um, being, like, utterly astonished that the pastor and one of the elders would come and visit me and my wife in our home and like ask us how we're doing. <laughs> like, what? I'd never even heard of such a thing. Um, <laughs> and um, it was particularly remarkable because at the time we lived like an hour and 10 minutes away from our church, um, long story, but so thankful for that, um, for that love and that sense of like, we want to know you, we want to care for you. 
um, you're not just sort of uh, a face in. Um, you're, you're a precious sheep in Jesus' fold. And we need to make sure that none of the sheep are wandering or hurting. Um, when somebody's not present for like three weeks on end, four weeks, something like that, it's our duty to like say, hey, is everything okay? Um, we do our best with that. Um, and then, yes, members are accountable to their leaders for their faith. And here's where I may push the envelope a little bit. So I welcome pushback if you think I'm going too far here. But I, I don't believe anybody can go around saying that you are saved when the church refuses to recognize your faith as legitimate. That's what was happening in Jeremiah 7 when they come to the Lord saying, we are delivered, even though they were walking in sin. And the prophet was saying in the authority of Jesus, um, this, is not, this is not genuine faith, right? And what this is saying is that being a Christian is not a private matter. It's not just between me and Jesus. No, being a Christian is being united to Christ and his people, right? So when you're, you're brought into the faith, you're brought into the great, wonderful tree, the olive tree, which goes all the way back to Abraham and Israel, right? And what happened? Us Gentiles are being engrafted into the tree. And so we're united to Jesus and his people. And that means, as John Calvin says, those to whom God is a father, the church must also be a mother. You can't have God as your father and yet not have the church as your mother. Westminster Confession 25.2 confirms the same thing. The visible church is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Now, is this saying that you can't be saved unless you're a member of a church? No, that's why the word ordinary is there. Right? And so there can be these circumstances where someone is truly brought to faith in Christ, but there's no way for them to become a member um, before they pass. Um, those things do happen. Um, the Spirit is not limited by what we're able to do in terms of bringing people into membership. But at the same time, these two things go together, union with Christ, union with his people. And so who has the authority to say that somebody is a Christian? It's actually not the individual. Rather, it is the church. The keys of the kingdom are given to the church to bind and to loose. And that language of binding and of loosing is talking about saying this person's in or saying this person is not in. Who wields the keys? The shepherds of the church. We are the stewards of the household of God. So 1 Corinthians 4.1, this is how one should regard us. Paul speaking in his apostolic capacity, but also he's, he has his co-authors who are fellow ministers with him. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. And then again, speaking of overseers, Titus 1.7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Remember um, the, the man Shebna in, in Isaiah 22, 22, he's the steward of King David's house, or rather Hezekiah, but the, the Davidic house, the, the royal house. What does he have? He has the key and he opens and no one can shut and he shuts and no one can open. He has the authority open and shut the royal house. It's crazy to think of it, but that's what the, the elders and, and pastors of a church have, is that authority. And so, when we open, 
Someone is to be regarded as a Christian. When we shut, someone is not to be regarded as a Christian. This is not saying that the church has some magical ability to determine whether somebody is a true Christian. We, we don't have like those amazing seeing, seeing soul glasses that can look into somebody's heart and say, oh, this one's regenerate. Oh, not this one, <laughs> right? Like, we're just ordinary people, right? But we are using the, the, you know, the gifts that God's given us, the gifts of discernment. We're, we're using the, the rule of faith God's given us in his word, and we're, we're thinking about it and doing what we can. And it also doesn't mean that when the church recognizes somebody as a Christian that they're automatically saved. The, the Bible is very explicit about this. There's plenty of examples of false Christians. You know, First, first John 2, they went out from us because they were not really of us. So these people who abandoned the church, right, um, claiming at a time to be truly Christian, but then showing that by their actions, by abandoning the true faith, that they actually weren't. Same thing with Paul in Romans 9 when he says, not all Israel is Israel. Okay, so there is this reality, right? Um, when we talk about the two circles, right, the circle of, you know, who's truly regenerate and the circle of who's in the church, we understand that those two circles don't completely overlap. But it does mean this, that baptism and excommunication have real objective effects. And it's when we start to internalize this that you start to realize, whoa, church membership is a big deal. Baptism has a real effect. This person is now publicly recognized as a Christian. Every baptized person who is still a member of a Bible-believing church, we are duty-bound to, to honor King Jesus and say that person is to be recognized Christian. That person, I have no authority to say they're not really a Christian. Well, they are recognized by the authority that Jesus has given to his, his rulers. Therefore, who am I to, to counter that? I'm, I'm, I may recognize, you know, there can be some people who claim to follow Christ, they're baptized, they're members in good standing, and yet not truly regenerate. That is a possibility. But in terms of how I am to regard this person until they are under church discipline, it's my duty to honor them as a Christian. And likewise, excommunication has a real effect. That person can no longer claim to be a Christian. When someone's excommunicated, they have no standing to say, well, that church excommunicated me, but I'm still a Christian. No, that's part of the, the like, terribleness of excommunication, right? saying you have you have now violated your ability to claim that you're a follower of Jesus Christ by what you by your unrepentance okay so um, I also wanted to say this I didn't squeeze this into the handout but it also means that when somebody is brought up for trial um, say someone accuses them of grievous sin and the elders um, investigate the matter, and they hear both sides. The person defends himself. The accuser brings their things. And then the elders say, well, we've examined both sides, and we don't find this person to be engaged in this heinous sin that he's, he or she's accused of. Um, we continue to affirm their good standing. Well, that's a pretty awesome thing, too, isn't it? Right? And that really helps us in our struggles with assurance because it says, look, this person now we, again, must continue to uphold their, their genuineness, regarding them as a genuine Christian. 
Um, so it's a great help to us and encouragement to us. So if someone is a church member, we're not permitted to say, yeah, but they're not really a Christian, or is what happened to me once. I feel so ashamed of this. Um, I met this lady on this airline flight. Um, I was a brand new Christian, and I was, you know, very zealous and everything. And um, and she said she was a Christian, and and um, and that she was a member of a church. And I said, okay, yeah, but are you regenerate? <laughs> and, wrong question. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I am to regard her now as a Christian. And that includes our little baptized kiddos. We raise our kids as Christians, and we'll talk about this next time. Um, we don't, like, when we're, they're struggling with sin and they've hurt somebody, you know, we don't say, well, now, because you're unregenerate, um, that's your problem. You need to become a Christian. No, we, we say, look, Christians don't do that. And you're a Christian. You belong to Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Therefore, let's pray something Christians, only Christians can do, right? We have the privilege of going into the presence of the Father, asking for his help through the mediator, Jesus Christ. So we teach our kids to pray, and we say, because you're a Christian, this is now how we deal with our sin, right? We look to the throne of grace. If someone is not a church member, then they may not do things that you requires formal recognition of a Christian as a Christian to do. You can't take the Lord's Supper. Nor should a member marry somebody who is not a member of a church. Right? Um, we are to, what does light have to do with dark? 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Right? Well, what business do we have marrying somebody who isn't actually recognized as a public follower of Jesus Christ? So any discussion on this, um, do you understand what I say when I say that membership has a real effect? Yes, um, Anna? <laughs> I, I totally know what you're saying. No, no, I really appreciate your frankness. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's scary how much authority. Yes, and I think I like. I hope you understand, and I hope you guys know <laughs> know me that this is not the sort of thing that I I would like gladly arrogate to myself, right? <laughs> like, um, this is. I'm only telling you this because I'm convinced from Scripture that this is what this is what it means to be a steward of the household of God. Um, uh, this is what it means to wield the keys of the kingdom. Now, it's important to remember that even while church leaders are doing their best to wield these keys, Jesus remains the king, and he's going to straighten everything out on the last day, right? So on the last day, church members who are wrongly disciplined, they will be openly acknowledged and acquitted on the day of judgment by faith, right? And same thing with people who die without having ever become a member because, you know, they became a Christian in prison or some unusual circumstance, right? Um, those people will be vindicated on the last day, right? Really, this is not changing the, the basic idea that we are saved by faith alone. This is about whom should we recognize as saved, right? Who, how do we think 
about who are the, the people of God. That's, that's all this is saying. It's not making the larger claim. Um, you're not a church member, then um, that means it's impossible for you to be saved on the last day. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Very common. Yeah, now here's what you're bringing up is a really important question. What are we supposed, and I even have it on the handout, you know, this gets tricky when churches don't practice church membership. Right? What are we supposed to do with all these churches? Huge churches, right? That don't have church membership, right? Um, where you have all these really dear people who have so much fruit, so much love for Christ, love for His people, um, you know, just beautiful Christian people, right? But they don't get this idea of church authority, um, and they're allergic to it or whatever. Um, like, what are we supposed to do? I mean, I think on the one hand, you know, just in, interpersonally, loving them, honoring them, um, being patient with them. At the same time, like, I, I, I would feel like it was a breach of my conscience as an officer of the church to allow them to take the Lord's help, right? Because they've never done what scripture requires them to do, which is to profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord in that public kind of way that says, I am formally making myself, um, you know, identifying myself with the people of God. I have leaders who are over me, right? Um, those verses from last, what is it? First uh, Peter 5, 3, Hebrews 13, 17. Um, and so, like, uh, I think, Chuck, I saw your hand. <laughs> yeah. How can you say that? Yeah, right. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, now this, this, is a, this is another really helpful point that you're making, Chuck, because there are so many churches out there, or at least entities that go by the name church, right, <laughs> that have heinously departed from the scriptures. And your examples are excellent, like supporting abortion, um, supporting the homosexual agenda, and all of the, the craziness regarding, um, you know, male-female relationships and everything. Um, so 
This is where when we fence the table, I always say, if you're a member of a Bible-believing church, right? And I, I admit that, that this is where things get a little vague and a little fuzzy, right? What counts as a Bible-believing church, right? Because there are many churches that where you're going to hear the gospel, but there's going to be serious departures from biblical teaching, including this issue of membership, right? Um, so at what point does a church cease to be a true church? Well, hopefully you remember back to the previous time um, when we talked about the marks of the church, right? So if there are those three marks, sound teaching of at least the gospel, the core gospel, um, right administration of the sacraments, and uh, church discipline. Those are, the, those are the churches we would recognize as when somebody says, I'm a member of a church, Okay, does your church have those three marks? Well, okay, yes, that membership actually means something now. That now we understand that to be what, what you're a member of is actually a member of a church and not this other entity that poses as a church. Right? I think I saw your hand next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Right, there is a risk of, of error, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was. And also, I think, in the case of Martin Luther, when he was excommunicated, he, he eventually ended up showing that the Roman Catholic Church was not a true church in the sense that they had departed from the true gospel, they were not practicing, right, they were not rightly administering the sacraments, and in many respects were not exercising true church discipline where you'd have popes who were, you know, completely living sexually immoral lives and stuff, right? So, um, and, and with impunity. Um, and so, like, what he realized is what, what he was removed from was not actually the church. That was his grounds for continuing on in a true church, which is a church that holds to the apostolic teaching. Yeah, so keep going, yeah. 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 
No, I think you're. I think you're right about that point about the more deductions you make and the further you have to reason from the explicit teaching of Scripture, the more you should hold what you're believing with an open hand, right? Because of our fallibility and our our tendency and our sinful hearts to, um, you know, reason to our own advantage and stuff. The point you're making about abuse of authority, I think, is really important, and it's it's needs to be raised. It needs to be directly confronted because. Let's face it, like, there, there's abuses of political authority, there's abuses of, like, employer-employee authority, there's abuses of school authority, there's, <laughs> there's abuses of uh, husbands abusing wives, uh, parents abusing children, and there's most certainly, grievous to say, abuses of church power and authority, right? And so what are we to do when church leaders fail I think that there's a couple things. Say you have somebody who is baptized, a member of a church in good standing, but like there's no fruit. And in addition to there being no fruit, there's a lot of anti-fruit. Like there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. Like this person is living in sin. What are we supposed to do? I think, you know, I, I have it on the outline. I didn't actually say it yet, but like I think what we should do with that person is call them to be faithful to their baptism. Instead of saying, you're not really a Christian, instead of saying, okay, hey, you profess to be a Christian, like, you, you are, you know, you're a baptized member of a church, and, and here you are doing this, right? Like, you can't do that. Like, that's not okay, right? Um, and so calling them to faithfulness, to their baptism. What happens when somebody is wrongly, um, in a, you know, abusively um, excommunicated? Again, I feel like there's recourse, right? Going, going back, seeking an appeal, this is part of where Presbyterianism, we'll talk about this in a future week, is so helpful. If a session errs and, you know, wrongly uh, excommunicates a member, a member says, hey, I wasn't given justice, right? Well, what can they do? They can go to the Presbyterian and say, um, please, hear my case and hear both sides, and that sentence can be reversed. When you're part of an independent church, is there still an option? I think so, in the sense that you can go to an, another session and say, look, I really do believe in Jesus. I really am trying to follow him. And I feel like I've been wrongly accused. Can you examine my case? I mean, that's not as ideal, right? But it's still something. Um, so, yeah. It's scary. It's still a scary amount of, 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 of authority. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's no no further recourse. Yeah, and Presbyterians can still err. Presbyterians can still err, right? But it's an added level of protection, right? Um, thanks be to thanks be to God. Yeah, Aaron, I think I saw your hand next. Yeah.
Right. Mm. Are you saying that so are you saying that Calvary Chapel, like if somebody was there who was like living in sin, some egregious sin, that the the leadership would take some action to say like you can't receive the Lord's Supper or you can't call yourself a Christian. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. 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 It really is. It is craziness, yeah. I mean, it's not craziness. It's, it's a good plan, but it's like, wow, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's part of where, you know, the answer to bad authority and to the abuse of authority is not anarchy, right? <laughs> it is to understand, like, we've got to really focus on good authority. And, and American, American society is absolutely allergic to authority. It, it thinks that it's inherently wicked and evil. And, and it, you know, that, this is the heart of feminism um, and, and many other movements. So we as a church need to stand against that um, and I'm reminded of the verse, uh, where does it say it? Um, the, the people stood in awe that God had given such authority to men, right? Um, that is God's good purpose, scary though it is. And Brett has had her hand up like super patiently for a long time. So you can be the last question, then we have to stop, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's such an important point. Yeah. Yeah. 
you'll make it right. And I think your point is so important. Like this is why the criteria for, for church officers is extremely high, right? And that's why we need to be very, very careful as we go through that process and as we pray about nominations and as we work through those candidates and, and prepare them, um, we, we tremble. Um, and I would just say a good application of this is pray for your session. <laughs> we want to honor Jesus. We want to do his will. And we don't want to fail him in this important area. So let's ask his help. Lord, we do thank you. And we stand in awe that you have given such authority to people, sinful, broken, oftentimes um, not clear-thinking people. And yet, Lord, this is your good will. You created the world so that your image bearers might rule it on your behalf. And we're so thankful that we have a man in heaven, Jesus Christ, who is giving us his spirit so that the church might be well-led. We pray that would be true. We pray for each of the elders and the pastor of this church, and we ask that you would help us to be faithful in this vital, vital role of binding and loosing, of wielding the keys of the kingdom. We pray we would not do so um, out of a spirit of domineering, but rather out of a spirit of humble um, stewardship on behalf of the king. And we pray, Lord, that we would honor the decisions of your church, even when they go against what seems to make sense to us, and that we would honor the true authority that your church has, for we know it is for our good, and it's given by you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks, everybody.